Well, it's good to be here again this morning, um, sharing with some of you on the way down here. We are following Siri, and we know approximately where things are, where Laura and Al used to live and, and where they're living now in the church. But I was thinking about what I was going to be sharing this morning as we're driving and we're driving, and all of a sudden, wait a minute now. It's having us turn on V and then to Birchwood and then... And then at about three miles from here, it says, you've arrived. <laughs> so that's a lesson for us. Don't put your trust in men. Don't put your trust in Siri. Put your trust in the word of God. So I'd like you to open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 are doctrinal. They're positional. They're showing us who we are in Christ, things that never change were accepted in the beloved, were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, were adopted, were placed as adult sons into his family. That's true of us no matter how we live, how we act, after we trust Christ, his love towards us and those positional truths never change. However, after we are saved, after we come to know the Lord, he doesn't want us to stay the same. He's given us a new nature, He's given us the precious word of God to give us instruction how to live. He's given us his spirit to indwell us. And when we walk in communion with the Lord, we're filled with the spirit and we're able and able to do what God wants us to do. But in the section we're going to cover today, he warns us there's a wrong way to walk. So Ephesians chapter 4, let me read verses 17 through 20. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning. We thank you that the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Use your word to instruct us, convict us, and to show us um, the truths that you'd have for us so that we might better be equipped to serve you and, and to reach a lost world for Christ. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay. So Warren Wiersbe makes this comment. The Bible was written to be obeyed and not simply studied. And this is why the words therefore and wherefore are repeated so often in the second half of Ephesians. So verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. In our text today, verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord. Verse 25, Therefore, put away lying and so on. So we ask ourselves the question, what is therefore there for? And it's to reflect back upon what we've already seen. In this case, it's chapter 4, verse 1, this worthy manner that God wants us to walk in. In verses 4 through 16, Paul explained that the worthy walk pertains to the unity of the church and to the maturity, the growing, the development of the church. 
But now he begins to share a portion about how to live the sanctified life, how to live in a practical manner before the Lord, separated to him. So with maturity, and hopefully you're growing up, not just growing old. With maturity, becomes becomes a Christian way of life that's consistent, and sometimes we see it best in, in contrasts between positive and negative, light and darkness, godly and ungodly. So Psalm 97.10 says, you that love the Lord hate evil. Now, driving here, there's still green grass and we still see some vegetation, whatever. But in the summer, I know many of you have wonderful flower gardens. And you love your flowers. You love, but what if you don't hate the weeds? Sooner than later, those weeds will overtake the flowers and bring about death. And so that's true with us. We need to see the positive, positive and negative aspects. We love the Lord. We will move away from that which displeases him. And so he says, I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, solemnly aff affirm together with the Lord, the New American Standard says, so along with the Lord, Paul is saying this, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. In other words, stop walking that way. You're prone to walk that way. You're so prone to wander and leave the one that you love. Don't continue in that manner of life. Um, the statement makes it clear that a believer can and often does live and act like an unbeliever. Turn to chapter 5. In chapter 5, verse 1 of Ephesians, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But the negative aspect is, but fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Dropping down to verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. Therefore, because of what you just read, therefore, do not be partakers with them. That means co-participants, joint partakers with them, because you were once darkness, but now your light in the Lord Walk in a worthy manner. Walk as children of light. Because that's who you are by the new birth. So before you were saved, your walk could not please God. There's nothing that an unbeliever can do to please God. One thing that an unbeliever does, he sins. Now, no matter how good an unbeliever might look on the outside, your neighbors might be wonderful neighbors, but most of what they do are mo that's done is motivated by pride and selfishness. And that's why God never asks an unbeliever to shape up his life, to clean up his act before he gets saved. He can't. All he can do is sin. We know that according to Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Until he comes to that point and sees that he's lost, he's dead, he's separated from God, there's no way he can balance the books 
with his good versus his bad. God says that his heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. He can't change himself. That's why we need the new birth. And because of that, then, receiving the spirit of God who indwells us, seals us, then we can begin to live a life that's pleasing to him. And he can change us into his image. And so that's what he wrote, Romans 8, 8 is all about. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. And that's the only nature that an unbeliever has. Ephesians chapter 2. And you he made alive. See, you were once dead, but you received life through Christ. Not only eternal life, but the life of Christ, because Christ is life. You were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature, our very nature, when we were unsaved, we were children of wrath, just as others. And so he declares that we have a nature, a nature that, that can't be remodeled, that can't be um, molded into something better. Can the Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? No more can you who are evil begin to do good. But now you're a Christian. You're a Christ one. So he says, walk worthy of your calling. So the verse tells us that these Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Futility. It's something that's devoid of truth. And when it's devoid of truth, it's filled with perverseness and depravity. One commentator said, to live in the futility of the mind is to think and live without any regard for God in eternity. It's to live for selfish gratification or fleeting pleasure without regard to the consequences, whether it is this life or an eternity. It's to live according to the world's philosophies that leave God out. That's the mindset of unbelievers. You see what's going on in the universities today. How depraved they are, how ignorant they are of anything that's right and good because their minds have, have gravitated towards that which is evil. Um, they walk in darkness. Romans chapter 1 tells us because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, neither were they thankful. And because of that, their minds became futile, their thoughts were darkened, their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. If I see some young people here today. If they have trusted Christ as their Savior, they are wiser than the most learned professor in the university because they think that they can accomplish something that God can't. But when you come as a child, understanding that, that God has provided everything you need for salvation. And a little child, they, they don't argue with you when they're very young, whether this is up or that's down or what color this is or that color. They're willing to trust you. And, and when you come that way to the Lord and see that you need him, that his blood is the only thing that can cleanse you from your sin and just simply trust him, you enter in a new relationship with him. But... 
you know, in the world today, how do we see this playing out? Because they are unthankful. Because they're not thankful God gave them the chromosomes they have that they don't follow the science anymore. They say identify as this or identify as that um, because they're acting in de defiance of their creator. They're not thankful for the way he made them. Well, because they reject the truth, they're in dark without a clue. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. Uh, after John 3.16, we hear that it's he that believes in him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already, and goes on to say that man loves darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. He doesn't go to the light because the light shows forth his sin. And so he walks in darkness because he doesn't want to be exposed. Well, because of that, he's spiritually dead. Separated from God, dead in sin. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 2. He becomes morally ignorant, or he actually is. He doesn't become. He's already in that state. He follows his heart. Now, ever watch a Hallmark movie? And they're going through all this and just... Follow your heart. Just follow. But why would you want to follow your heart when Jeremiah tells us your heart is deceitful? Above all things, it's desperately wicked. Don't follow your heart. It'll deceive you. Follow the word of God. Of course, they don't. And they do what feels good. Um, so they do it. And they give way to their base fleshly nature. And then they're spiritually blind, a medical term for calloused hardening due to the hardness of their hearts. So if you read in the book of Genesis, Pharaoh, about half the time it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The other half is Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So was it God's fault that Pharaoh had a hard heart? How did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Well, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Because Pharaoh worshipped these gods of the Nile River and all the plagues that were, um, that were done in Egypt were against the gods of Egypt. And plus Pharaoh considered himself God. And so the Lord gave him truth to who the, the true God was. And when Pharaoh heard truth, when he saw the power of God, what did he do? He hardened his heart. God knew it would happen. But that's what happens when you give the truth to an unbeliever who rejects it. They harden their heart to the truth. And they go further and further from the Lord. And then they're past feeling, insensible to pain, apathetic. They're, they're, they're like they've gone to sleep. They're insensible to honor and to shame. They don't even understand. Isaiah predicted our day today when they call right wrong and wrong right. Don't you see that in our, in our um, society today? That everything that we see God says is honorable and good and just and right, they say it's wrong. And the things are so perverse in whatever they say that's good. Well, the end of uh, verse 18, because we just looked at their understanding was darkened. They were alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance. 
because of the blindness of the heart, and then their past feeling, and so they give themselves over to lewdness, to work all in cleanness with greediness. He yields himself to shameless, unbridled lust. His occupation is given to immorality and an endless lust for more. He wants just a little bit more, never satisfied. And so they go into baser and baser sins. But now, what are the characteristics of a believer walking as an unbeliever? Because we so often can go back to default mode. We have two natures. We have a nature of flesh. We have an old nature, an old man. And we have a new nature provided for us through the new birth. Uh, drop down to verse 22 of chapter 4. That you put off concerning your former conduct. The old man, this old self grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. So we need to renew our minds. We need to put in the word of God that purges out our old way of thinking. Because, you know, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What you think is going to determine how you act. There's an oak tree, a um, couple of them actually, in, in an alley behind our house. And those oak trees, those leaves just cling and cling and cling. And, and oftentimes not until spring when the, the sap starts flowing through that those leaves fall off. Well, that's what we need to do with the renewing of our minds. Let the word of God flow through us. Push, push out those thoughts that aren't pure. And this is put on the new man. That new man is the new nature we have in, in Christ. But now, what happens when you walk in the flesh? Well, turn to James chapter 4. starts by asking a question. By the way, James is written to believers. James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's giving us instruction. It's giving us um, ways that God wants us to see ourselves and how he wants us to walk. And he rebukes these believers. Where do wars and fightings come from? Don't they come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Drop down to verse 4 adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? That's hostility with God. Whosoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, you can't love God and the world at the same time. That's what 1 John chapter 2 tells us. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And all those things are passing away. See, if you love the Lord, you can't love the world. If you love the world, you can't love the Lord. You can't love the Lord half-heartedly. It needs to be wholeheartedly. Now, can you imagine me telling my wife, Diane, Oh, Diane, I just love you so much. I love you with half my heart. Um, I might not get my meal that day. So I'm very careful about how I talk to her. Now, other people, no. Um, but the Lord doesn't want half our hearts. He wants us to love him completely. And he doesn't want to share that, that love with, with the world. As a matter of fact, it goes on. Don't you know that the spirit that dwells in us 
yearns jealously for us because when we walk in the flesh, when we love the, the, the world, we grieve the Spirit of God. He wants to control us and move us in a, in a godly manner and way. And so we can commit spiritual adultery with the Lord, adulterers and adulteresses, when we put the world first, when our friendship with the world is more important than our fellowship and enjoyment of the Lord. And then they become critical judges here in James chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit here under my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. How do we act towards those that aren't dressed as nice, act as nice? Um, Pastor Miller up in Virginia, Minnesota started a To Be Free addictions ministry. And there were some people that opposed it because we don't want those kind of people coming into our church. We don't want them to be... Do you think of yourself more highly than you ought to think? Who are you to think that you're better than some lost individual? The Apostle Paul said, Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. You know, we are like the Apostle Paul. We tie for first place or last place, whichever way you're measuring it. We're the chief of sinners. It doesn't matter how many sins or how bad. We don't have venial sins and mortal sins. All sin is offensive to God. In the book of Revelation, it says not even one lie can be in heaven. Where does that place us? We're filthy. We're unlike God, ungodly. And so don't become critical of other people by their outward appearance. God loves them. He wants them to be saved. And if they are believers, he wants them to grow in grace. See, when someone first gets saved, someone maybe from the hippie generation or someone who's been a drug user and so on, the first thing you don't do is put them on a barber chair and cut their hair and, and try to clean up their outside. God starts with the inside. God wants to change us within. And if he changes us on the inside, then the outside will follow suit. But if you change the outside, then you're merely religious. You can act the right way, talk the right way, do Christian things. But God's not pleased with it. We can become judges with critical thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10 says, you know, when you compare yourselves among others, you're not wise. We can always find someone that we look better than so we can cut them down and we look better. That's a believer who's walking like an unbeliever. And then they sacrifice eternal treasure for temporal riches. Remember Lot. There needs to be a separation between Abraham and Lot. 
because Abraham's herdsmen, Lot's herdsmen, there was some interaction that wasn't good, and the unsaved were watching. So Abraham told Lot, you choose. God had already told him, it all belongs to you, Abraham. You choose Lot where you want. And he looks towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Because that plain was lush with grass. How could it be a wrong decision to choose what's going to benefit me financially? Look at, look at what I'm going to have. But he didn't realize the danger he was putting himself in. How many times do we make decisions based on what will benefit us financially and don't even consider how that will affect us spiritually? Well, Matthew 6 talks about your treasure. Where are you going to store your treasure? If you store it here on earth, all the things that you have here, that's your treasure, your possessions. And by the way, where your treasure is, that's where your mind's going to be. But down here, moth is going to corrupt. Thieves are going to break through and steal. It says, store your treasures in heaven where they can't ever be taken away from you. And in verse 24, it says you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and wealth. No man can be God's friend who makes worldly success his goal. Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery. He was a slave of Potiphar. He was maligned. He was lied about. And yet God said he was a prosperous, a successful man. How can that be? And then he was thrown into prison. And again it says he was a prosperous, successful man. I don't understand. From the world's point of view, he was not successful. But in God's point of view, he was. And then how God honored this promise that he made to him. You are going to be above your brothers. And you know the story, how in an instant, God took him out of prison and he was made second in command in, in Egypt. God can do that to a man who honors him. That's what makes you successful. They lose their testimony before the lost. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. You know, God is willing to show us failures in believers that we hold in high esteem because we fail at times too. We do, but we have a God who's willing to to correct us and deal with us and when we're willing to confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us so we can enjoy fellowship with him again. This is the story of Abraham in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. God gave him a test. God give you any tests? Where was the promised land? Canaan. God promised to take care of him, to meet his needs. But the famine came and Abram thought, what am I going to do? How am I going to take care of my, my family? And I've got to go down to Egypt because there's, um, there's probably better grass and food. And, and so he leaves the place of 
fellowship with the Lord and goes to Egypt, which is the type of the world. And it came to pass, verse 11, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Wow. Ladies, would you like a husband like that who's willing to sacrifice you for his own well-being? Verse 13, please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, that I may live because of you. Now, in his mind, he might have been thinking, well, it's, it's just a half-truth. And just half lie. Because you know, in a measure, she was his sister. Same father, <coughs> excuse me, same father, different mother. But see, what makes it a lie? Because he sought to deceive. Even if you tell part truth, but you hold back the whole truth, God holds that as a lie. Well, we go on. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. And so they brought her to Pharaoh. Drop down to verse 19. Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Isn't that a sad thing when a believer has to be rebuked by an unbeliever? for the way they're living, for the way they're acting. In Genesis 19, Lot. Lot told his sons-in-laws, we need to get out of here. God's going to destroy this place. And they laughed at him. Are you joking? You don't have a relationship with the Lord. Who are you telling us? You don't live any different than we do. They mocked him. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, the incident where Nathan has to approach David that he sinned with Bathsheba. And the Lord says that this young boy is going to die. And Nathan told David, the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Everyone knows what you've done, David. You've given opportunity for the unsaved to say, yeah, look at him. He calls himself a servant of God. We do that when we act unrighteously before the lost. Well, they don't desire spiritual truth and they soon forget the spiritual truth that they once knew. Turning to Hebrews chapter 5. The writer of Hebrews, probably the Apostle Paul, shares about <clears throat> the things that are better. Better than all the Old Testament sacrifices. Better than the priesthood. Then he begins to share about Melchizedek, a type of Christ. Verse 11. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. 
For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. See, that's why God puts us through the trials and tests of life, so we might develop spiritual muscles that we can say, God promised this, no matter how impossible it seems that he's going to fulfill his word, I'm going to trust him. At the Red Sea, they complained. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And the sea was opened up. They came to the Jordan River. And it's at flood stage. And, and step in, and I'll stop it. But until you step in, I'm not going to stop it. And they did. And God did what he said. So are you memorizing God's promises, claiming God's promises in your life, holding to them even in the, the trials that you're going through? It, and you will. Otherwise, you're going to become dull of hearing. If the word of God is just to you, just some black and white um, pages here that have very little value that you'll read everything else first. And if there's time, I'll take some time in listening to God, reading his word, meditating on his word asking him to show me the meaning of his word so I can utilize it in my life. You're going to become like a little babe, and, and you're going to go backwards. Never stay the same. Either moving forward and becoming more Christ-like, or you're moving backwards and moving into more ungodliness in the flesh. Second Peter 1 says that when you don't walk and allow the, these things, these, uh, these virtues that God has promised us to flow through you in your life. It says you become short-sighted even to blindness. And then it says, and you've forgotten that you're purged from your old sins. Can you imagine that? That a believer, someone who's trusted Christ, can become so nearsighted, so short-sighted that he even forgets what Christ has done for him. Why do you think we have the communion table in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Because we forget so quickly. These things do in remembrance of me. Oh, I would never. Don't say you would never forget. Because we do forget so easily what the Lord has done. Well, their moral values are corrupted. We already talked a little bit about Lot. But... When the angels came and the men of Sodom came and they wanted to know, they wanted to have relations with these angels, what does Lot do? He send, says, I'll send out my daughters to you. Lot, what are you thinking? And then once he's rescued, they go to this cave and <laughs> he, he allows his daughters to get him drunk. And then he commits incest with them. And then we have Ammon and Moab, perpetual enemies of, of Israel. And those very nations are some of the nations that are looking to destroy Israel today. I'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
wonderful chapter on the gospel, the resurrection, but there's an interlude here where in verse 33, Paul writes, do not be deceived. And so many verses we see in the Bible start with a verb. Do not be deceived. Love not the world. When it starts that way, it's actually you do not. That's a command. That's an imperative statement. You don't be deceived. Stop being deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. It does. Who do you spend time with when you want to relax, when you want to have, have an enjoyable time? Are, are your best friends those of the world? He says, awake to righteousness. And do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Why are you with the unbelievers? Because you want to share Christ with them? Because you want them to be saved? What kind of friend are you if you never share your faith with them and they die and go to hell? Do you have that concern for them? Or are they just like so many trees in the forest that, well, their choice? But when we understand and we know the truth, don't sin against them and against the Lord. They need to understand how to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, for those of you that were daydreaming and wandering and, and you're reading this little box in the lower right-hand corner, you know, you can read this statement and, and it should remind you that we often major in the minors and that we lose sight of what's really important in life that's pleasing the Lord in sharing the gospel with others. What's really important in your life? So there's examples. I'll go through them quickly. Lot, we already saw him. If you ever doubted that Lot was a saved man because of what we see in the Old Testament, Second Peter tells us he is justified Lot. And every day his righteous soul was being vexed. It was being tormented by seeing the ungodliness around him. A saved man living like the world. The most miserable people in the world are believers who are living for themselves, for the flesh, for this world. Samson, said he was a Nazarite from birth. He said he was filled with the Spirit. Well, I shouldn't say filled. He was indwelt by the Spirit. There's a big difference between being indwelt by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. He was indwelt with the Spirit of God. He was a Nazarite from birth. And it says, he says to his father, get her for me, this Philistine girl. She, she pleases me well. I want her. He has a relationship with a harlot. He has a relationship with Delilah. And yet, Samson's in the hall of faith. Why? Because at the end of his life, he finally comes to understand. Lord, Lord, help me defeat my enemy. What a sad story. David. We already saw about him, because of his sin, this, this baby died. But David came to his senses. In Psalm 32, it says, just as if God was continually pressing down a weight on me, and it was about a year from his sin till, till he confesses his sin. Keep short accounts with God. Don't wait so long before you admit you're wrong. Psalm 51, cleanse me, Lord. Against you and you only have I sinned. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He, he wasn't lost because, you know, he even sent Uriah to the front lines to be murdered. 
God forgave him. Now there were repercussions for his sin. There's always consequences, even as a believer, for your sin. You don't get away with your sin. It won't prevent you from going to heaven. That's a done deal. The moment you trust Christ, you're forgiven. He paid the price in full. That's judicial forgiveness. But family forgiveness. Now we're in his family. And when we sin against our father, he deals with us. He corrects us. He chastens us. And he has to, to bring us to the woodshed. And he wants us to. And, and so David was brought to the woodshed. And he finally admitted his sin. God forgave him, but there were consequences. As a bloody man, he couldn't build the temple. There were other issues that he faced. His sons, oh, he wasn't a good father. There was Demas in Colossians and Philemon. He was a fellow laborer with Paul, but in 2 Timothy, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. There's the Corinthian believers that he admonishes them. Well, we're in 1 Corinthians right now. Let's turn to chapter 3. And I, brethren, see, they're believers he's talking to, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, fleshly, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you. And hopefully that's not true in this church, that where that happens, you're carnal. And you're behaving like mere unsaved men, people. There were the Galatian believers. Paul had to warn them. The Judaizers came in, and, and they listened to those that, had, that tickled their ears. And he says, how could you turn so soon from the gospel that I, that I shared with you into another gospel, which is not another? How could that happen? And then in chapter 3, it says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has beguiled you? Who has cast a spell on you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was, was portrayed before he was crucified. Did you get saved by, by works of law or by faith in Christ? See, as soon as we mix up um, doing with being, we have a problem. Lord, I've read my Bible, I've gone to church, I've done this and this and this. Now you owe me something. You, you bless me. Because look what I've done. Instead of seeing, Lord, what a privilege. You've given me your spirit. You've enabled me. You've gifted me to serve you and out of a motivation of love. And without that heart of love for the Lord, you can't please him. And that's where we get to the Ephesian believers. In Revelation 2, these believers who knew so much, Revelation, the church in Ephesus, he lauds them for their doctrinal purity and, and how they take stands against those that, that don't stand on the truth. But he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you, you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. See, they were straight as a gun barrel doctrinally, but cold as a gun barrel spiritually. 
They looked good. On the outside, everyone would have said, wow, what a wonderful believer that is. And God says, you stink because your attitude, your love for me isn't there. And so remember when you first got saved, oh, I was thrilled when I first got saved. Hopefully I never lose that attitude. I could go into Solomon. Remember Solomon, how he um, had everything. God gave him everything he wanted. But what happened to him? He had all these wives, 700 wives, 300 concubines, and they turned his heart from the Lord. At the end of his life in Ecclesiastes, he said, you know, all those things I thought would please me. All the wealth, all the things, all the possessions. He said, it's all vanity. It's all grasping for the wind. think we might have time for this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In verses 9 and 10, he talks about the ungodly, those that are fornicators, idolatries, adulterers, and, and thieves, and, and so on. And he says in verse 11, such were some of you, but you're washed, but you're sanctified, you're justified in the name. Whoops. Sorry about that. Ah. Not sure what I just did or how to get it back down. There we go. That's what you were, but now this is what you are. You're washed, you're clean by the blood of the Lamb. You're sanctified, you're set apart to God from sin. You're justified, declare, declared righteous. That's our position. That's our salvation by the new birth. We're new creations in Christ. That doesn't mean we won't ever sin. When we walk in our position, when we walk in fellowship with Christ, we won't sin. When we walk in the flesh, we will. And so Paul goes on to admonish these believers not to continue in their adulterous ways. Because in Corinth, their worship involved these priestesses. And immorality was rampant in Corinth. And they continued on, but then he challenged them in verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you've been bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You belong to him. Yield to him. It's the very best thing you can do. He wants to do what's best for you. So, I'm going to have to probably skip this story or most of it. A man in Fiji, Joe Bao, crippled, rejected by his parents, sent out to live with his grandmother. Everyone turned because he, he had this deformity that he walked funny and, and he, nobody loved Joe. And Joe thought the Lord didn't love him. And so for 40 years, he walked physically the wrong way. But because of his physical problem, he cried out to the Lord, Lord, don't you love me? And the Lord answered that prayer and brought someone who shared the gospel with him. And Joe got saved, and now he had a new way to walk in the Spirit. And his love and his service for the Lord led to his physical healing because he loved young people, and he was a wonderful Bible teacher. And people from the churches in Australia would come to Fiji, and they saw how the Lord had used him, but he was limited and he was going to be in a wheelchair soon. They brought him to Australia to have an operation. 
to finally correct his problem. This is the first time, the picture you see here, is the first time Joe ever walked with shoes on, with his feet flat on the floor. So, have you had an operation? Joe acknowledged his condition. He knew that he couldn't help himself. He trusted the physicians. The operation was paid in full. And just as that operation was performed at a point in time, it had continuing results to today. Joe was saved from sin and born into God's family at a point, at a point in time, and it has continuing, ongoing results. So a question to you. Do you know absolutely positively you'll spend eternity with Christ? Not based on who you are, but on the fact that Christ paid it all. It is finished. It's paid in full. And the moment you trust him, you can have that assurance. So a question. Now after Josepha has been provided with the ability to walk properly, would he want to go back to the old way of walking? Would he want to walk on the, on the very balls of his feet and his hips? Are, no, it'd be crazy. So if you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, saved by grace, gifted to serve as a member of his body, and given liberty to walk worthy of the Lord, why would you want to live as if you're still a child of sin, walking in bondage to the flesh, apart from the new life given to you by Christ? And so verse 20 simply says, and you have not so learned Christ. That's not what you learned. Don't go back. Continue to move forward. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your salvation. Thankful for who we now are in Christ. Might we never want to go back to what we were. Might we continue on. And when we see that we're walking like an unbeliever, that we'd be willing to confess that sin, say the same thing that you say about it, and then allow you to cleanse us, and we can be restored to fellowship and service for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.